You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 233. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a busy show planned for you this week as we prepare for our final DIY stock investing webinar of 2023 this Thursday. Do not miss out on this event. We have four Your Stock Our Takes for you this week. Aaron begins by answering a question on Restaurant Brands International, symbol QSR, on the TSX, which reported Q3 numbers that missed estimates on slower Burger King growth. Clearly, Brennan needs to get out there and consume several Whoppers this week. Get on it, Brennan. Aaron will let you know if QSR is an opportunity or a stock to be wary about on the lower growth. I will answer a listener question on Canadian legal software company, Die in Durham, symbol DND on the TSX, a company which we have taken a pass on on this show at $50, 40, 30, 20. And with the stock now cut in half once again to $10, a listener asks us if DND is finally a buy. Additionally, in our Your Stock, Our Take segment, Brett answers a viewer question on Transcontinental Limited, symbol TCL.A on the TSX, a leader in flexible packaging in the US, Canada, Latin America, as well as Canada's largest printer for items like books, magazines, and newspapers, among other printed items. Brett takes a look at the company, which pays a strong 8.2% dividend, but has had limited growth at present. Last and certainly least, Brennan answers a viewer question on leading uranium producer, Cameco Corporation, symbol CCO on the TSX. Brennan lets you know whether the strong year-to-date run in the stock can continue. All right, let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn, the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Good weekend. Did you enjoy our seminars last week? Yeah, sure did. We did Did two of them. Did I enjoy them? Did you enjoy them? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it, but I was there actually doing the seminar, so it's a little yeah. different. But I hope that the people <laughs> watching enjoyed them. We've got yeah, I think there was a one ton of the of things content. we do yeah. is we have a, a widget on the keystocks.com website where you can go and you can book a 10 minute call with the analyst. So we did get several calls since the uh, since the yeah. uh, webinar happened last week um, from people that were attending and also from some mm-hmm. people that couldn't attend. but. So tickets are available to the final one, like I said, this year, year, November 9th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, you can get those at www.keystocks.com. we got seven to eight profitable stocks you can buy today uh, that are in that webinar, how two to three great stocks can change your portfolio. Uh, we're talking about companies like Hammond Power, Boyd. We'll talk about those. We'll talk about our electrification report. Um, how big bank returns are killing your portfolio, how to build that simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio. Aaron's doing a section on Canadian roadmap or a Canadian's roadmap to U.S. investing opportunities there. And I'll give you five simple steps to review any stock in five minutes. 
we'll also do a, about a 20 minute Q and a at the end. So answer any and all your questions, tickets on our last one are selling out, uh, quickly. So we encourage you, we had a sold out first session. We had a VIP session on the weekend as well, but, uh, the, you know, encourage you to get in for our last segment of the year. All right, let's get to the show. Can I say something actually first? No. Um, yes. <laughs> please. And thank you. So last weekend or last week, sorry, when we were actually doing our first recording, my favorite hockey team, the Vancouver Canucks Ugh. got another W and this poor kid, my first sharks game had to see his, his sharks get destroyed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nothing on the first game. Yeah. This well, it was actually ended up 10 one. It ended up 10 yes, one. It so. did. It did. And, yeah. uh, well, even worse. Well, he's know. become a meme. Yeah. Poor kid. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, kid. that that, uh, is an ugly game. The thing is the sharks lost, I think 10 to the next night too. That now, yeah. but since that kid has become a meme, the sharks need to do something about that. Like they need to invite <laughs> yeah. that kid for a practice and let him meet all the players. You got to do something for that kid now. Let's be honest. Like, for, first game, it's a punishment to go to the next Sharks game. And they completely <laughs> blow it. So like they owe him as far as I'm concerned. It's and, actually a punishment. I'd invite him or pay him to stay away from the games because it's not his fault, but it's just torture going to the games. I mean, they are in full on tank mode this year, so it's, it's by design, but it is, I don't think it's happening. Maybe they need uh, a little positive PR then. Yeah, 10, 10 goals giving up back-to-back. And the Canucks, honestly, uh, my Vancouver Well, I mean, Canucks, it was against uh, the top team in the league. Mine, so too. It's, my, it's, they're mine you know, as well. Uh, at least it's against As soon as the, the Canucks live five in a row, Brennan's off. No, and I also have this meme to show as well. What, your car again? <laughs> this is a sad but true my Oilers. Because I was joking. I was waiting for Ryan to call me out on being a, a Canucks fan. You know, I'm a Fairweather mm-hmm. fan. You know, next, whatever team is doing well, you know, I'm going to just jump on the bandwagon. But the Canucks are a wagon this year. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're passing the oil. For 11 games. Let's, For 11 let's, games. Let's, 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 you know. let's put it in perspective. Anyways, anyway. We hope. We, we hope. That up. I thought it was kind so of calm. They haven't scored. They haven't scored 10 goals in a game uh, since the 1990s. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an achievement. But like we say in this business, it's a small sample size. Yeah. Let's let it continue a little farther of course, and see of course. if we can uh, I, have a larger sample size. Attitude there, son. <laughs> That's true. That's what we do Anyways. when we look at a stock. It's been going up for two days. Get in. <laughs> it's had good earnings for one quarter out of 27. Get in. Anyways. All right, let's move to the companies. Or is there anything else we want to talk about that's going on in the markets? I think we got four Your Stock Our Takes this week. So maybe we just want to dig into it. So yep. we're not here till next Thursday. All right. Uh, Aaron, you're going to talk about, uh, well, we, I think it's in the agenda that you're in there. Read the damn notes. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. No, get in there, get into it. Do you got slides to share? I do do have a few. Yes. So you're going to talk about QSR and we're talking about, uh, restaurant brands. That's right. So symbol QSR. Um, it trades on the TSX, also trades on the New York Stock Exchange in U- U.S. dollars. But I'm going to just cover the the TSX Canadian Exchange um, stats here. So um, in Canadian dollars, trades at ninety dollars per share. It's a twenty eight billion market cap company. It also pays a nice yield of three point three percent. So of course, this is a company that we follow fairly closely in our Canadian income research. In fact, when we did our 
2023 Canadian Dividend All-Star Report, Restaurant Brands was one of the companies in the top tier monitor list. So we're quite familiar with them. Uh, they are a global quick service restaurant company. So fast food, they own four fast food brands, uh, including Tim Hortons, Burger King, Popeye's Louisiana Chicken and Firehouse Subs, which is the most recent addition. But uh, they are they are a huge company in the quick service space, one of the biggest in the world, over 28,000 restaurants in 100 con- countries. So I just kind of realized as I was putting these slides together that last week I I covered the largest restaurant company in the in the world, which is McDonald's. Um, now I'm covering um, one of the uh, I would imagine probably top five. Um, but anyways, let's take a look at uh, recent performance of this company. So over the past five years, you know, stock hasn't really gone anywhere. Quite a bit of volatility, of course. Um, you know, more recently over the last twelve months, there's been a lot of volatility as well. A little bit of share price return over the last twelve months, but it's taken. A bit of a dive since the summer and this is typical with a lot of stocks there's just been quite a bit of volatility since this time but as i said q3 results were just released so we're going to take a look at those as well as a few other uh items with qsr and just see what type of investment it looks like over the long term and in the near term so looking at the q3 results as the top line numbers total consolidated revenue was 1.8 billion that was an increase of 6.4 percent adjusted ebitda up uh, 8.7 to 698 million these are all us dollars and earnings per share of about 90 cents and that was actually down 6.3 percent so the first thing that you know you want to look at is you saw higher revenue, you saw higher adjusted EBITDA. Why are we seeing lower earnings per share? Well, a couple reasons for that. Uh, higher tax expense, uh, moderately higher interest expense. Not a huge jump in that number, but still enough that it that it impacted the very bottom line and soaked up uh, a lot of that uh, adjusted EBITDA. So really, when you're looking at a company like QSR, you have to do this brand by brand. Um, and as I said, Burger King, Tim Hortons, Popeyes, Firehouse Subs, these are the main brands. So looking at the number of restaurants in the in the pool here, uh, Burger King is definitely a top spot, 19,000 restaurants, and they've increased that number by 2.4% over the last year. Tim Hortons, 5,700 restaurants, up 5.5%. Popeyes, up 11% to 4,300 restaurants. And then the most recent addition, Firehouse Subs, that's the, that's the little guy in the portfolio and that's 1,266 restaurants up 2.6% year over year. And then in terms of revenue, uh, again, Burger King um, significantly dominating the others more than 50% of total um, total revenue. In fact, uh, close to 70% of total revenue. So, you know, when you look at this company as a diversified restaurant business, you really have to consider that concentration into Burger King. Um, but their revenues quarterly were up 10%. Um, Tim Hortons revenues up almost 10%. Popeyes had the biggest boost of 6.1%. And then Firehouse Subs, which is really a small portion of total revenues, was up 7%. Now, all four of the brands produced um, comparable same store sales growth. Burger King increasing their comparable sales 7.2%. Um, Tim Hortons increasing at 6.8, Popeyes up 7%, and then Firehouse Subs up 3.4%. So looking at some of the outlooks, uh, outlook points here. So management expects that they're going to enter 2024 with momentum driven by strong performance of its brands. So continued same-source sales growth, continued expansion 
of the network of um, of restaurants as well. Now they did note some near term challenges um, that includes inflation, foreign exchange volatility, as well as rising interest rates. So this is obviously these are factors that obviously impact um, most industries right now. Certainly the inflation, the rising interest rates. You know, in in the, in the, in a situation like um, like QSR being a very capital intensive business, I would say that it affects them more than most particularly the wage inflation, because obviously it's a very um, labor intensive business, um, but but just also just general inflation across the board. They also have debt on the balance sheet. So rising interest rates have a negative impact. Uh, the company plans to continue to invest in growth and reduce their their net debt leverage as well as return capital to shareholders. So 360 million was returned to shareholders in Q3, but they have about a billion dollar share repurchase program which is in place until September 2025. Now, taking a look at that balance sheet, we want to make sure that a company is on a firm financial foundation. So they have a net debt of about $13 billion, equity, shareholders' equity of $4.7 billion. So net debt to EBITDA, that's 4.8 times, pretty high multiple. Now, restaurant businesses tend to have higher net debt to EBITDA leverage ratios. I would say that you know QSR's ratio is certainly well at you know pushing to pushing beyond the top boundary of of what we would want to see in terms of a, a leverage ratio i will say however it is down year over year so it was 5.2% last year or 5.2 times last year rather um so they are trying to push it down and they've been successful uh debt to equity three times you know fair, fairly high multiple and then looking at future growth, so just taking a look at some of the analyst estimates, analysts are expecting um, at the midpoint of consensus about 3% earnings per share growth this year, uh, increasing to about 7% next year, so 7% growth next year. And right now, the, the stock is trading in about that 20 times earnings range. So if we look at QSR's eight-year average, it's about 26 times, certainly it is below the average, but um, you know you can't just that's not an apples to apples comparison. Uh, growth really isn't that high right now, low to mid single digits. So um, as well, valuations across the market have been compressed over the last several years, and that has to be factored in as well. And just looking at the company's historic financial performance, uh, revenue growth it's been fairly consistent with uh, with you know one year of decline, which was. 2020. So we would expect that. But the revenue growth has been fairly consistent going back over the history of QSR, which goes back to 2015. Uh, earnings per share growth, not nearly as consistent. We've seen a fair bit of fluctuation. Obviously, 2020 was a very bad year for the restaurant industry, um, for a lot of the restaurant industry anyways. Um, but you know, even outside of that, we've seen some uh, some years of fluctuation. So our take, we we love the brands. I mean, it has four um, unparalleled brands. So it's a diversified global company. We like the quick service restaurant space. If you're going to invest in a restaurant company, uh, we're not very attracted to like the mid-range restaurants, sit-down restaurants, but quick service tends to be a little more defensive in a recessionary environment. It is trading at a valuation below its long-term average. It's expanding its restaurant network, other uh, same-store sales growth, and they're also reducing leverage and returning capital shareholders. However, on the other side, earnings growth has been fairly inconsistent. And in the near term, earnings, earnings growth is actually quite meek. I mean, only about 3% growth expected this year. 
Uh, we saw a decline in earnings per share in the last quarter. Um, certainly, you know, 7%, 67% next year is more impressive, but they still have to hit that. Um, so when you're looking at the earnings growth, the 20 times uh, PE multiple, the valuation is not especially attractive relative to the growth rate. And then, of course, they're also exposed to inflationary pressures as much or more than most other industries. So we we like the company long term. We think it's 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 a very solid business as a stock. I would say that it's probably fairly valued in the near term, maybe a, a, a long term opportunity. But um, on a growth to valuation perspective right now, um, I'd say it's trading you know close to where it, it should be. And who wants to go out and uh, get some Popeye's chicken right now? I'm hungry. I like Burger King. You know, there's literally down 8th Street, there is a Tim Hortons, a Mm -hmm. Burger King, and a McDonald's, literally a stone throw away from each other. And uh, I used to always gravitate towards the McDonald's. To be honest, I'm now a Burger King guy, kind of. I like their chicken sandwiches. Brennan and isn't you old, know, so nobody in the last the 10 years is sandwiches, that. but there's no Popeyes that's convenient for me, so I almost never eat there. Um, but you know, when we when my family does eat fast food, it we're we're a Wendy's family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like Wendy's too. Yeah. 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 I'm more an Aaron W because I own shares, full disclosure. So <laughs> ah, <laughs> nice. yeah. there you go. No. That's the only reason, right? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. No, no, uh, Eric, my son likes Popeyes. He loves it. So, oh, Popeyes, and there is one close. It's incredible. I like that it's like crispier than uh, KFC generally. Mm -hmm. Like it's like more of that like crispy, flaky. As Ryan's laughing, you're just throwing the Colonel under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Colonel. I threw the Colonel under the bus decades ago. He's passed. Yeah, their fries though. (laughs) KFC's fries are are delicious. McDonald's fries are still probably the best, although they're just off. Uh, Debatable. Debatable. I don't think any of us. That's what we're doing is debating. Uh, All right, let's move on. I think we've beat those restaurants to death. All of them good, not good for you probably. I don't know about the subs. Maybe the subs are better, but I'm not sure. I've never tried the the sub brand though there. All right, let's get to Dying Durham. Uh, This Dying Durham Corporation or Limited, the symbol is DND on the TSX. Trades at ten dollars, four hundred or five hundred and forty-two million dollar market cap. Uh, the company is a leading provider of practice management software, data solutions, and payment technology to law, law firms and businesses. They have about sixty thousand clients in Canada, international markets, and they are based in Toronto. Let's look at their first quarter of fiscal twenty twenty-four. They had revenue that was one hundred and twenty million. It's basically flat from the prior year. If you take out the impact of a divesture, the revenues were up a modest 8%. Net income was negative 13.5 million. That's a decrease from last year. Um, Now, if you look at adjusted EBITDA, it was up about 7% to 68.7 million in that quarter. What I'd like to focus on today in terms of uh, looking at this business are the liquidity numbers, the the balance sheet of this business. these are likely to improve as EBITDA and free cash flow are projected to improve this year. Um, but we need to consider where the company is right now without projections. And quite frankly, most analysts' projections on this company, it's been a buy at many of the brokerage houses in Canada for several years now. Most of them have been off the mark in terms of this company. So let's just look at net debt to EBITDA. It's 7.79 on a trailing basis. That's not so good. Debt to equity is in the range of three. Free cash flow to debt is around 
one zero. Now put that in context. Now it kind of depends on the industry, but a healthy ratio would generally fall between one and two. Uh, so point one is not great. Uh, it also has a working capital deficit. So current assets are 127 million. Uh, current liabilities are 150 million. The company also in its infinite wisdom uh, with these significant debt levels, and they do have a priority finally to pay back debt. They've instituted a dividend. Now the yield is under 1%. It just really seems disjointed from the reality of where the business is right now. From a valuation basis on a trailing EV to EBITDA, it's about 11.2. I have seen estimates for significant EBITDA growth on this business. Again, analysts have been wrong before, so we'll take those with a grain of salt. On the forward estimates right now, it's EV to EBITDA is in the range of 7.5. That kind of looks more attractive, but I'll give you our take. Uh, Diane Durham is a business that grew revenues year over year at 7% this past year, and the last quarter was flat. You kind of take out that um, sale of part of the business, and it was maybe up 7%, that 7 to 8 in that range. Growth has basically all come from acquisitions, which has been the playbook for this company. The playbook, the capital structure, and the overall decision-making by management is really something to question for this business from my perspective. They had a, also a massive takeover, uh, almost larger than their business, trying to take over a business that failed over the past two years. So that's kind of would have crippled an already stretched balance sheet. It is no wonder when you look at the share price that the stock has been crushed in the market. D&D unveiled a business improvement plan to drive free cash flow in their recent uh, Q1 uh, on their call. And they signaled that deleveraging is key to capital or is a key capital allocation priority. The company announced a business improvement plan that aims at driving about $70 million in annual free cash flow, incremental free cash flow when compared to Q1 2024, the levels they just uh, reported. Key drivers that will add to free cash flow include lower capital expenders. They're talking about about $20 million savings there. M&A and restructuring costs, um, savings about $10 to $15 million. Ongoing price increases, they're looking for 10% targeted per year and a modest reduction in overall operating expenses. Now, all of these initiatives sound good, but one must question a company that had to stretch its balance sheet so far in terms of debt, get hammered by the market, and then finally just now decide to start to focus on cash flow generation and rein in spending. So the stock trades at around, like I said, seven times EVD, but uh, seven and a half forward looking. There is limited growth from the core business in the last quarter. I would question where the growth is going to come from going forward. Management, again, has stated, rightly so, the company's priority is to pay down debt. The team has kind of painted itself into a corner here. High debt, low core growth, high interest rate payments. It will be tough to grow via acquisition, uh, and it's a long road to pay down the debt. The company appears to me to be dead money in the near term. Perhaps the cost cutting will bear fruit. Uh, perhaps D&D will be bought out at some point, but I would not, I would not, if I was an acquirer, look to take on that debt at these levels. Uh, we would not invest in a business based on that possibility alone that it could be a takeover target. Now, we've been asked about D&D many times in the past and continue to pass on the business. Like I said, from 50 to 40, when it went to 30 to 20, and now it's at 10. The valuations may look better, 
but the company will be challenged to grow its top line. And we see better software related companies with cash rich balance sheets in Canada that can at present go on offense in a downturn and not play defense as DND is today. Despite the drop in the share price, I would still be a pass on this company right now. Yeah, it's, it's very rare that we're going to, you know, look at a company that has had such a decline in the market. I mean, typically a decline like that comes with a good reason. Not always, but, you know, in the vast, vast majority of cases. So this is a company that we, I mean, we've looked at many times. We've had, as Ryan said, many questions on it. But, you know, some people will say, well, what price then does it become a good buy? I mean, I would say for us, there's not really any price because we're looking for a company that just has more of a yeah, I mean, there is fundamental some, strength, and then we look at prices. I mean, the free there is some free cash flow growth, which starts to be a little bit attractive. But um, we'd like to see it come the growth come with some revenue growth as well. And there really doesn't, you know, the core revenue growth, other than price increases, you know, that's they're looking at maybe ten percent price increases, which is fine. But do you have growth in that core business? Uh, software management software for the legal industry uh, seems like it should be relatively sticky. Uh, seems like a good business, but the way they went about uh, putting together this company, making acquisitions, and just leveraging up the balance sheet, you get this situation where now they're just in a in a holding pattern where they have to pay off debt, bring it down. Now debt is becoming more costly, so all of these things squeezing cash flow too, and they're trying to pay down debt with that cash flow. Um, perhaps slow down and be a slow consolidator over time. Don't try to do it all at once. And if we look at the time that this company was making its acquisitions at one of the priciest times to be doing that in the market, and you know, you just, you've levered up your balance sheet. Uh, it's going to be a kind of catch 22, whether or not, you know, pay down debt, and they're, I think they're eyeing like an EV to EBITDA or a debt to EBITDA ratio of four when then they can start then making acquisitions. And like you're starting with four and then what are you going to go to five? Then you're too much in debt. I mean, even four for us, maybe in a sticky SaaS related um, business, you could sort of justify it, but you can't go much more into debt, right? So, you know, it's going to be quite the journey here for them to pay down debt and then maybe try to grow by acquisition again. Perhaps they can cross-sell in their business. Perhaps they can grow uh, their software business organically, but it's not there right now. They're talking about price increases being a growth, which isn't just adding new customers. That's just, it's fine. You can increase prices to existing customers, but you know, I'd like to see more organic growth, uh, better free cash flow, and then obviously they need to pay down debt. Need your, and, and you may just see at some point in equity financing, and I believe they recently had one again. So the you could have that type of uh, dilution. They have been buying back shares, but you're, it's, it's, it's like, okay, buy back shares. We got to pay back debt. And, you know, there are other businesses out there. This is what we're trying to get to. We talked about one last week, a Canadian software business in Canada that has 250 million in cash in the bank rather than, you know, a billion in debt. And this is a time when capital is hard to come by they can use that capital to buy businesses that come on sale and, and need capital. And, and I'd rather be in that situation. Plus the two businesses that I'm talking about here trade on an EV to EBITDA basis, relatively similar valuation. So I'll take the business that has cash in the bank versus the business that is heavily indebted. All right. 
I think it was Brat next because we know who's last, right? So and leave. <laughs> no, that's horrible. <clears throat> Just picking Brat, on Brat you, today. You got a question on TCL.a. Yeah, TCL. So, like Ryan is saying, uh, Transcontinental Limited symbol TCLA dot TCL dot A on the TSX. They have two classes here, but the A class is the primary class. It is a leader in flexible packaging in the United States, Canada, and Latin America as well as Canada's largest printer for items like books, magazines, and newspapers, amongst other items. Revenue is roughly split 50-50 between the two groups at this time. The stock is currently trading at about $11 a share with a market cap of $950 million Canadian. The shares, however, are down 28% year-to-date, and as well, it pays a dividend yield of 8.2%. So, looking at the last quarter... Revenues came in at $707 million, which is down 5.5% year over year. Adjusted operating earnings before depreciation and amortization came in at $108 million, down 4.5%. Similarly, adjusted net earnings fell 10.5% to $0.51 cents per share. So a top-to-bottom decrease as revenue came down, so did the bottom line. Management attributes the drops to customers destocking for packaging. So as we saw for many industries... Uh, when the supply chain was really limited during the pandemic, they all bought up, bought up, bought up, and now they have an overflow of stock. And now you have those companies needing to go work through that stock before they buy more. As well, Transcontinental is seeing a weaker economic backdrop, lowering volumes for both their packaging and printing uh, segments. With cost-saving measures in the printing division, they partially offset the decrease. But if we step back looking at a 10-year graph of their revenue, growth has just not been the company's strong suit. The company has had relatively flat earnings, barring the jump in 2018, which was attributed to a big acquisition of Covaris Americas, which added flexible packaging to the company, but has failed to see growth since. And with the drop during the pandemic, we're now seeing year-over-year declines after that. The printing industry is obviously a mature industry, so a decline in overall is not exactly a surprise to see no organic growth or recently, in their case, a decline. Now, shifting to the balance sheet, the company has a net debt and lease position of $1.1 billion, with a trailing adjusted EBITDA of $442 million. Roughly, the leverage is 2.5 times. Of the company's $1 billion in long-term debt, $464 million is at a variable rate or $310 million after you account for their swaps. So as the variable, as interest rates have rose, their variable debt has put downward pressure on the company's bottom lines as interest rates have rose. That being said, Transcontinental have continued to have a positive operating cash flows, which is always a good thing to see. That strong earnings quality when you're seeing it actually come through on cash. Over the past nine months, the company has generated $226 million in cash from operations, However, once you consider the CapEx and the mergers and acquisitions from its shifts into more packaging and payments of interest on debt and then uh, their dividend as well, there's no additional cash left over. So they're not building the cash balance sheet. They're, whatever they take in, they're putting out as well. Dividend has not actually grown as well. They stopped growing their dividend in 2020. They're quite consistently growing it for over a decade prior to that. And now it's just sitting at 23 cents a quarter. So it's no longer being that dividend growth story. It's just a flat dividend. So moving to valuation, the company has a trailing adjusted earnings per share of $1.99, uh, $1. resulting in a trailing PE of roughly 5.6 times. However, looking forward, given the weakness 
uh, which management is expecting. Q4, which is normally a stronger quarter, uh, earn, the earnings for 2023 will likely be lower, resulting in an ultimately a higher valuation, probably in the 6 to 7 range compared to the 5.6, which we're seeing on a trailing basis. So our take, the company is unlikely to have really any sustained growth given in its industry at this time, as well as the near-term weakness due to macroeconomic uh, environment. It is just putting additional pressure on the company's operations. Transcontinental is impacted due to higher interest rates really in two ways, the increase in interest expense for its very low debt, as well as if interest rates stay high and until it needs to refinance, then they would either fix securities, then they obviously need to pay a higher interest rate. As well, the companies do see uh, downward pressure in its share price as investors have moved from these mature high interest paying or high dividend paying companies to just interest bearing uh, securities. So you go from your 8% uh, transcontinental to a, let's say 5% bond, you're taking off a bit of risk, but it's much more secure when you're lending to the government versus having an equity position in a company and in a mature industry. So overall, the company is likely nearest fair term value given the lack of growth in the current macro backdrop, as well as it needing long term. Uh, it needs to keep doing those MAs to uh, even retain its growth or retain its revenue line right now. And over time, it may trickle into some sort of growth, but we're not really seeing that at this time. So really, just a fair value stock. I see it. Yeah, I mean it's it's transcontinental. That's another company we're very familiar with, and. It's it's traded at a depressed valuation for several years going back, which you know, as you said, the a significant portion of its business is in decline. So there are some companies out there where they they have you know half of the business in decline, half the business is more of a growth area long term, and they're transitioning over slowly. I, I think that you know over time that has the likelihood of working, but this isn't a this is what I would call probably a deep value play right now. So it's it's not something that you can expect to work out in the next six to even 12 months. Yeah, I'd say five plus years for them with yeah. how long the transition is going to take. Five plus years. And then even on the packaging side, um, you know, packaging businesses are also under pressure right now just because so mm -hmm. much customer inventory was built up last year. So that's that's impacting sales and, and margins. Yeah, we've looked at a few smaller packaging companies this year and, um, you know, the the most recent quarters have typically showed declines and, you know, and then they're actually forecasting lower demand in the near term. So <clears throat> you're hit by a couple of things there. Finally, we're going to look at last but not least, Brennan. And you you got a, you've got Cameco Corporation. This True? is correct. Uranium. Uranium. Brennan's a huge uranium supporter. So that's well, what they're I based say. out of Saskatoon. So that's yeah. what I mean. Mainly. Yes. It's geographic, um, his yeah. support. Uh, so, yes, this uh, question came in from Rex uh, via email. And he said, uh, or generally, he didn't say this, but, you know, the stock has done quite well over the last year, up about 74%, and it's up 280% uh, over the past five years. But, you know, we'll look at the long, long term as well. So uh, Cameco CCO on the TSX currently trading at a price of around $56 and about a $24 billion market cap uh, and a dividend yield of just 0.2%. Uh, and it's an annual dividend frequency. You don't see that too, too often. Uh, so Cameco is a pure play uranium producer headquartered, uh, like I said, in my hometown of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, the company has two segments, which include its uranium, 
uh, which is 85% of sales in the most recent quarter, uh, which includes exploration, mining, milling, and sale of uranium, as well as fuel, uh, fuel services, which is uh, 15% of sales in the most recent quarter. Uh, and this involves the refining, conversion, and fabrication of uranium concentrate and sale of conversion services. So Cameco has mines in uh, northern Saskatchewan and the United States, as well as a 40% interest in the Inca JV with Kazakh Tomprom, uh, which is majority owned by the Kazakh government, uh, of course, in Kazakhstan. Um, now, other than the JV uh, in Kazakhstan, only two of Cameco's mines are operating, which are the uh, Cigar Lake and MacArthur River. Now, operations at the MacArthur River and Key Lake had been suspended in 2018 due to deteriorating market conditions, uh, but management resumed them in November of 2022. Now, the Rabbit Lake operation in Saskatchewan was placed on care and maintenance in 2016, uh, which it remains on, and Cameco's operations in the United States uh, include Crow Butt and Smith Ranch Highland. Uh, but again, uh, both are not currently producing as the decision was also made in 2016 to curtail production. And as I said, uh, its second segment is fuel services, which supplies much of the world's reactor fleet uh, with the fuel to generate electricity. And these facilities are within uh, Ontario. So over the long term, revenue and earnings have been on a declining trend due to the persistent decline in the price of uranium, which led the company to place several of its mines on care and maintenance in 2016 and 2018 to curtail supply and help the weak market conditions recover. And since then, the price of uranium has been on a recovery and as such, so has Cameco's stock price. Um, and I actually include, you know, there's a little graph here. If you're watching on YouTube, the price or the spot price of uranium. Now, looking at the last quarter, Q3 of 2023, reported in October, uh, revenue was up 48% year over year to 575 million. Net income was up to 148 million compared to a loss last year. And earnings per share was 34 cents compared to a loss of 5 cents uh, for Q3 of 2022. Now, the balance sheet is healthy currently with about $2.7 billion in cash, just under a billion dollars in, or sorry, yeah, just under a billion dollars in debt and net cash of about $1.7 billion. Now, right now, the business trades with a trailing PE of about 90 times and about 45 uh, times trailing price to cash flow. But of course, these are elevated due to the recent run in Cameco's stock price. And given the increase in price of uranium, which higher prices will be realized over the next few quarters, assuming that, you know, the price of uranium sticks around here um, compared to the, uh, the trailing results. So, you know, in theory, the forward multiple should be more reasonable, um, but we just do not know how much more reasonable, of course. Um, and if we annualize the last quarter, uh, the price to earnings multiple would be closer to about 40 times. Now, at the end of the day, though, the price of Cameco will go where the price of uranium goes. As shown by my overlay chart here uh, with Cameco stock in the blue and uranium futures price in the orange line. So as you can see here, uh, if uranium does well, Cameco stock will do well and, and vice versa, of course. Now, just to uh, finish up here, management said uh, on the durability and demand, uh, uh, the durability of demand and supply, um, climate change targets need nuclear to achieve net zero, 
policymakers are embracing nuclear, which they said that they haven't really ever seen before uh, at this pace. Now, Asia's nuclear expansion is beginning to move beyond the region into Europe and America. And energy security is also driving growth, of course, with kind of the geopolitical tensions that we're seeing around the world and just the need for countries and uh, energy security in general. And the CEO uh, made the comment that demand for nuclear power is driving the best fundamentals we have ever seen for the nuclear fuel market. And I thought that I'd also bring this up, the acquisition of Westinghouse Electric for $7.9 billion with Brookfield Renewable, uh, where Cameco will own 49% and Brookfield will own 51%. Uh, the acquisition was announced a year ago in October of 2022, uh, and it just received approval from regulators last week and is expected to close this week. Um, now, Cameco will finance its share of the acquisition with $600 million in its term loan uh, available as well as uh, available cash. So once this closes, Cameco's balance sheet should change significantly. Uh, but it is an interesting acquisition as it provides more nuclear capabilities to the company, including energy uh, system and reactor technologies, engineering and manufacturing and more. Um, but to conclude or to conclude here, you know, personally, I like the long term trend of uranium and its importance to combat climate change and ensure countries with energy security. But over the next decade, I have no idea if this will translate into a positive uh, stock performance. Now, it appears that there are some tailwinds for the sector. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, the stock is tied to the price of uranium and its balance sheet is about to change drastically following the closing of the Westinghouse Electric acquisition. And we cannot forget that from 2004 to 2020, Cameco was not a great investment driven by very weak market conditions. Um, so if someone thinks the price of uranium will continue to perform well over the long term, you could consider Cameco, but I believe that it, you know, is generally speculative just based on the commodity itself. Um, but you know, if you wanted to take a position, um, just because of, you know, your thesis on the price of uranium, you could, it's speculative, make sure that if you did take a position, it's a small piece of your portfolio. You know, you definitely wouldn't want to take a, uh, uh, a large, you know, 5% or even two and a half percent of your portfolio. I think that, you know, hedging uh, the position side size would uh, help mitigate that risk. But, you know, it's definitely not one that I'm adding to my portfolio at this time. And I'll open it up to the uh, the gentleman. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you'd sum it up with many commodity-based businesses. It so goes the price of the commodity, so goes uranium, so will go Cameco. So mm -hmm. if uranium stays in its current range, does well this year, uh, Cameco follows suit. Uh, if uranium's down 30% next year, Cameco's shares likely, uh, you know, are going to be, it's going to be tough to see them perform very well in the year. So, yeah. And like, in, uh, just... I mean, if you want exposure to uranium, this is a company, you mm -hmm. know, a leading company in the sector. There is some exposure right there. Um, you, it's going to be volatile with the price of uranium. Yeah, and like you know, even just I actually, at the... I'll just say that I'm actually impressed with how closely it follows the price of uranium. Cause yeah, we've it's, done it's work crazy, on, right? Yeah, on gold mining stocks, and you know they typically don't follow the price of gold that well. Um, mm -hmm. But it's to the detriment of somebody who wants to have exposure to gold. So you know, it is actually a good investment for exposure to uranium if that is yeah. what you're trying to do. 
Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, just reading in the conference call, like they're talking about, oh, this cycle is different. This one, you know, has all these factors behind it. But, you know, we hear that, you know, many, many they're times. They're always different. And, I mean, I've heard that just about exactly. uranium several exactly. times in my investing career. And it's, you know, just, you hear the super cycle and, and whatnot all yeah. the time. I mean, um, I will say that, you know, we've done work with our electrification report. And I was, I was looking at, um, I was tasked with the job of looking at renewable power producers and getting together some research on that. And, you know, they, they, the, the forecasts are that 90% of, um, uh, new, uh, electrical generation will over the next five years, I believe it is be from like non-carbon sources, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, a big chunk of that was, was nuclear actually. Yeah. So not yeah. just, uh, renewable. Yeah. And, and to me, if it can be done, you know, more safely over time, find ways to unique ways to dispose of waste. It makes sense. Uh, but you know, um, actually a, where the uh, price of uranium goes this year or next year, you know, there's, we're, we're there's launching it into space. I, Are you <laughs> No, I recently watched a couple episodes of this series called Chernobyl on HBO. Mm. And yeah. I mean, obviously a completely different situation, but it's, uh, it's pretty scary when things go wrong. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to end our show this week. I encourage you to keep your questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Um, get your tickets again to our final, final DIY webinar of the year this Thursday. That is uh, the 9th, right, Brennan? Correct. Look at your calendar and you'll find. <laughs> there, there we go. It's the 9th. Yes, it's this Thursday, the 9th. We'll, we'd love to see any and all of you there. Keep those questions coming in. Uh, if you've got, if you're watching us right now on YouTube, smash that subscribe button. If you're listening on iTunes, uh, remember to rate and review us only positive reviews and always, as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Right, thank you. Thanks everyone. Thank you.